You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. There is an occasion for everything, and a time for every activity under heaven, and a time to give birth, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats drinks and enjoys all his his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to, to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is has already been, and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, peace be with you. If you're a first-time guest, we want to say welcome. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are a uh, regular attender or a member of Sojourn, uh, what's up? I pray that you are doing well. I want to start off before we jump into uh, the sermon uh, by uh, asking you uh, to pray, and I'm going to pause for a minute so that we can pray together. Uh, Many of you all know that Sojourn Church was planted um, in 2000. Um, through a denomination called the Southern Baptist uh, Denomination. It is uh, the largest Protestant denomination in the world. Um, It is a a great uh, movement for missions, uh, one of the greatest movements in in humanity in terms of the cooperative effort uh, that is given uh, to uh, keep the gospel moving forward. Uh, There are a lot of uh, missionaries that depend on uh, the finances of Southern Baptist churches cooperating together so that our missionaries can continue to serve uh, people in unreached places. Uh, We also uh, plant a lot of churches uh, throughout the country and are one of the biggest movements for disaster relief. And so there are many things that we are uh, grateful about uh, Southern Baptists and uh, that we uh, find joy in partnering with. 
But this week in Nashville, uh, Southern Baptists from all over the country are coming together for what is called the Southern Baptist Convention. As well as all the good that Southern Baptists have been able to do for the sake of the gospel, uh, there also has been um, a lot of hurt and harm. Uh, Southern uh, Baptists was founded upon a racist ideology in many ways. Um, It also has perpetuated uh, sexism and abuse um, that has been pretty public, especially in recent years. And this year in Nashville, as uh, Southern Baptists collide on the city, there is sure to be a lot of drama as some of these uh, underbellings and uh, non-gospel ideals um, are fighting up against the kingdom of God. And the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, reporters all over the country are going to be eager to report on the dysfunction of, of the Southern Baptist family. We have many students that go here that depend on co- cooperative program giving because it allows them uh, to go to school for half the cost if they weren't a part of a, a Southern Baptist uh, church. We have many professors who I love dearly who I think uh, stand for the biblical values of this church, as well as gospel and biblical values that are throughout scripture. Um, And so it is a complicated matter as we affiliate with this organization and as we uh, use our voice and our influence to to change and hopefully be a part of a change of a culture. Uh, But I want us to just pause and pray that this would not be a demonic experience and that somehow in the midst of the confusion that is happening um, within the convention, um, that Jesus Christ uh, would be glorified. And I want you to pray for your pastors who are constantly wrestling with this affiliation, um, but who know uh, that it's not just as easy as as pulling out because it affects the lives of many people who go to this church. Um, So let's just pause for a minute and pray silently. Uh, Jesus, I pray that you would uh, give us as a church wisdom. We know that wisdom comes uh, from you and you say that if we pray in faith, uh, that you um, that you will answer us. I pray that you will help us to navigate um, these very uh, terrain waters and help us, Lord, to be a light. I pray for your universal church. Um, every denomination that bears the name of Jesus, that you would uh, keep us from worldliness. And by worldliness, I don't uh, just uh, mean uh, these these themes that we see as sinful um, that are easy to identify, but I also mean this, this pharisaical religiosity that is built on a false identity and that often masks itself as godliness. I pray, Father God, that you would break it up I pray that you would break it up in our own hearts. 
I pray that you would break it up in our own church. And I pray, Father God, that your spirit would allow something beautiful to be resurrected. Your word that we're looking at today says that you do all things so that mankind would see that you are awesome. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. And the matchless, marvelous, beautiful, forever reigning name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Eternity, as you know, is never ending. And the concept of eternity is hard to grasp. Think of it this way. If we were to empty the Pacific Ocean, which is the largest body of water in the world, we'd be left with a hole that's beyond imagination. And if we were to fill that hole with sand and to make a pile as high as Mount Everest, we'd be talking about a lot of sand because Mount Everest is the tallest mountain peak in the world. And since the ocean is fairly deep and Mount Everest is fairly high, we'd have a fairly sizable sand pile. Now, if we had a bird that would take one grain of sand from the sand pile every 100 billion years, how long would it take for that bird to take every grain of sand from that sand pile? And I don't know that in the human language that we, we have such a number. It is probably beyond numerical count. But whatever that number is, when the bird finishes the last grain of sand, you will have been in eternity for your first second. I hope that as you process what I just said, that eternity uh, feels all inspiring. And I also hope that it feels a, a bit of a healthy overwhelmness to you. If it is true, as the text says, that God has put eternity in the heart of every single human being, then we ought to take a considerable amount of consideration to think about how we live now and how that will affect how we live for all eternity. We've been looking at how life under the sun seems a bit empty. It seems meaningless. It seems in vain as we have perused through the book of Ecclesiastes. And today, the sage, the preacher, is going to remind us that, that life truly is and seems random and at times frustrating. And I think the sage's main point of the section in Ecclesiastes is clear. This God who put eternity in the heart of every man is the same God who appoints every occasion and every season in our life. And if I was to put today's sermon in a nutshell, it would simply be this. Trust God who sovereignly appoints the seasons and who makes everything beautiful in its own time. This text is calling us to trust God who sovereignly appoints the seasons 
and to believe that he makes everything beautiful in its appointed time. In Ecclesiastes 1, the sage writes a beautiful poem answering the question, what do people get from all of their work under the sun? And he does this by tracing nature and he looks at how generation goes and generations come, but the earth, he says, remains from ever. And he observes how the sun rises and the sun sets and it returns to its place. He looks at the gusting wind of the south and the turning of the north. And he says, so goes the wind and these cycles over and over and the sea and how waters run into it and run out. But yet it is never full. And in Ecclesiastes chapter three, he's going to do the same thing and kind of make the same point that life seems to be empty. It seems to be for no meaning. But the question that he wants us to consider in Ecclesiastes chapter three is found in verse nine. He says, so what does the worker gain from his struggles? In other words, he picks up the thing that we saw in chapter two, that work seems pointless as much as most of life. And he's going to build this tension in our heart by writing a beautiful poem, just like he started in chapter one. But this time he doesn't focus on nature. This time he focuses on seasons or as the CSB says, occasions. And he's essentially arguing that God sets every occasion, every time, every season in our lives under the sun or under heaven. Now, this poem is is beautifully written. It's actually uh, the most known passage in all of Ecclesiastes. Um, It's uh, kind of a two by seven poem, meaning that he grips and and groups uh, two parallel themes uh, together. And he does this seven times. Let's look at an example. Verse two. He says that there is a time to give birth and there's a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. And each of these uh, sentences in this two by seven kind of uh, a movement um, are all a uh, paralleling each other in these groupings and and kind of pointing to the main point. And each of these are pointing to our humanity and our experience in humanity. And what's interesting is that each of these also kind of, uh, they, they wash each other out. A time to give birth and a time to die. It's kind of a sum equal. There's nothing gained. A time to plant and a time to uproot. There's nothing to gain. In verse five, he says, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. And there's great debate about what the sage is talking about when he talks about a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. But because of the second part of that verse, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, it is it's, it's talking about in, in, in at least uh, uh, friendship. And in love, uh, some argue that this was a, a phrase that pointed to sexual intimacy. So it talks about embracing and not embracing. 
But my point is that each of these lines is getting to his main point and his main question, which is in verse nine, what does the worker gain from all his struggles? And we know that through Ecclesiastes, his answer has been nothing, smoke. Absolutely nothing. And so there's two observations that are pretty broad, but I think that are important for us this morning. And it's this, as we read this poem, one, we are not anomalies. Every human being goes through different seasons in life. And every human being goes through delightful seasons as well as disquieting season. Delightful seasons as well as disturbing seasons. And perhaps you are here today and you feel like you are going through a a season that is disturbing, a season that is full of grief, full of weeping, full of mourning, full of battling hate in your heart. The sage wants you to know that you are not alone. Under the sun and as a result of the fall, every single human being experiences seasons of loss. I don't care what decade or century you were born in. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. Loss is coming. Sadness, if you uh, are sane, will be your reality. Also, every human being feels a bit of tension in their heart constantly as if life is unpredictable and out of their control. And the preacher is reminding us in this text that that is is by design, that God has created our lives and has appointed seasons in our lives where all of us feel as if we are at the mercy of some random and frustrating happening. And it feels like every time we take two uh, steps forward, that somehow we are taking two steps back. And the preacher reminds us that this is the human experience. And may I remind you that life is meant to be this way and to feel this way. It is meant to be celebrations of birth as well as deep seasons of loss and grief because it is meant to point us to the fact that there is more. There is a sand pile of eternity left to life. And these experiences are meant to point us to the one who oversees all of eternity. It is meant to keep us dependent on him and not on ourselves. But the second observation that we can make in this text is that life requires wisdom and discernment. Much of life is learning to discern the seasons that we are in and to appropriately respond respond to the season. And some of us in this room are still dealing with with hurt and bitterness and, and pain because someone did not respond to us appropriately in our season. When it was a season for us to weep, someone laughed or dismissed us. When it was a season for someone to plant and to invest in our life, they didn't show up. And or perhaps when they did show up, they uprooted. Some of us have learned hard lessons because we have been those people who are unwise. We have been the undiscerning friends of Job who come in with answers when what we should have came in with was silence and care and presence. 
This psalm and this book reminds us of why we need God's wisdom and why we need to slow down and to live a life that is filled with observation and walking in the spirit so that we can be compassionate towards God's precious image bearers. Wisdom requires us being capable of discerning, and it also requires us of being capable to adjusting. God has ended some seasons in some of our lives. He's ended some relationships. He's ended some affiliations. He's ended some work experiences. He's ended some things, and we're still trying to keep it alive. God shut the door to that relationship for a reason, but we're still trying to to press into it. And wisdom knows when seasons has changed, winter has come, it's time to put on a coat. Spring has come, it's time to take on a coat. Summer has come, it's time to put on shorts. But an unwise person tries to force the last season into the next. There's also a sense in this text in which I think in our current time, we also need to recognize that there's a season to be prophetic. Verse three, there's a time to to kill some stuff and there's a time to tear down. There's a there's a time to throw stones. There's there's a a, a time to to throw away. There's a there's there's a time to speak up. Well, I'm thankful for men who are in the, who at least stood up against some of the foolishness that's in the Southern Baptist Convention, like Russ Moore and others who use their prophetic voice to tear up and to expose Rachel Dollander. I'm thankful for our own uh, pastors in this church who, in various ways, whether seen or unseen, speak up against the darkness. And, and, and when it's time to use the jackhammer, they use the jackhammer. But each of those people that I've mentioned are also people that I've been able to observe that understand that even prophets have to step away from, from being prophetic in certain seasons in order to encourage and to build up. And if you consider yourself a, a prophet and you're all, only always tearing up, then something may be wrong with your heart. If your prophetic ministry is always pointing out faults, but is never bringing love, is never bringing peace, is never pointing out encouragement, then, then something is wrong with how you see Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate prophet and Jesus came to to tear up, but he also was able to discern the seasons and discern the times and to to be gentle and to have fun and to, to dance and to weep. I think about the word that is was given to Jeremiah, this young prophet in Jeremiah chapter one, verse 10, when God called him into ministry, part of his calling, God says this, today I appoint you to stand up against nations and against kingdoms. Some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. It takes wisdom to know when you should build up 
It takes wisdom to know when you should tear down. And so how do we discern those times? How do we know when it's time to build up or it's time to tear down? Well, one, the way that we can walk into that is is by making sure we're living lives of, of consecration and dependence. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, the, prophet, uh, uh, the apostle Paul says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in view of God saving you, in view of God redeeming you, in view of God choosing you, I urge you to present your bodies as, as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. We experience God's wisdom and we are able to discern the times when we give God our body, when we live as a a sacrifice before him. When we make sure we are not being conformed to the idols of this world, but we submit ourselves to the scriptures and allow our minds to be renewed and transformed. He says, then you will be able to discern the will of God. Then you will be able to navigate the the times that God has set. Not only through consecration and dependence, but through praying to God for wisdom. If you are having a hard time to discern the times, if you're trying to figure out if God has put you in a season and it's time to, to leave something that you were a part of, you, you need to pray. James chapter two, uh, James chapter one, two through five uh, tells us to do so. Consider it a great joy. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. When you face trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach. But when he asks, he must ask in faith. And then in James chapter three, the latter part, we see what God's wisdom looks like. When he gives it, it's it's peaceable, it's it's open to reason. If you need to discern the times and you need wisdom to do so, ask God and ask with faith, knowing that he wants to give you wisdom. Because when you are walking in wisdom and when you are walking in his peace, his light shines through you and people can come to know him as a result of you. We also discern the times by having godly counselors around us and by taking their advice. Last week, we looked at Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and how he uh, did not listen to godly counselors. And God has given us, Ephesians chapter 4, in the church, um, pastors and teachers and evangelists and, and other members of the body who can help you to discern the times. Proverbs 13, 10 says this, arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. Sometimes our own desires, our own stories, our own proclivities 
keep us from being able to see clearly. And we need people in our life who we know are walking in the spirit, who can gently listen and help us to be guided on the right path and direction. As you wisely navigate these seasons by walking in the Lord, I want to encourage you to slow down and to observe, to look around, to not rush through life in, in such a way that you're ignoring the appointed times that are before you. So here's some questions for you. In this season of your life, are you, are you reacting? Or are you proactively living at the speed of God in which you can hear his voice? Are you walking with the Lord and in his wisdom so that you can appropriately Respond to the times. Are you taking your responsibility towards your friends and family seriously enough where you recognize that there are seasons and appointed times for them? And that when they ask you your advice, that you have an opportunity to, to, to shape their direction, that you have an opportunity like Job's friends to be a source of healing. But if you are not seeking the Lord for yourself, instead, you may bring more harm. Verse 9, Solomon asks a question. What does the worker gain from all his struggles? And this is kind of the main point of, of giving us these seasons. He's saying that these delights and disturbances that they often even each other out. And it seems like God has given us all these experiences to kind of uh, keep us occupied. Verse 10, I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. But look at verse 11. He says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning. So God gives us these times of rejoicing, but he also gives us these deep times of pain. And uh, the sage is trying to help us to view our life in these times of, of, of pain, in these times of rejoicing in light of eternity. He's trying to, to help us uh, to see a, a major point that we can trust God in these times of disquieting, in these times of disturbances. And the reason that we can trust him is because he has put in our heart this, this yearning of eternity, this, this realization that there is more to life than this. There's more to life than these appointed seasons. There's more to life than work. And he's also uh, given us this assurance that he is going to make everything right in this appointed time. The times of grief, the times of sorrows, the times that we have been sinned against, the times that, in which the fall has deeply impacted us. The writer is telling us that this God who has put eternity in our hearts, he promises that in its appointed times, everything will be made beautiful. Verse 11, he has made everything appropriate. Most major translations say that he has made everything beautiful. I think that's the best way to translate this word from what I've read. 
And so he's encouraging us that during these times of disturbances to trust God because he sovereignly appointed these times. Now, it doesn't mean that he was the one to do the evil that we experienced to us. Some of us have experienced deep evil, dark pain, and even dark trauma. God did not himself do that, for God cannot do evil. I'm reminded by the story of Joseph, a young boy who was sold into slavery, who uh, worked himself hard and came up the ranks of, of, of Pharaoh and Potiphar only uh, once again to be imprisoned for actually doing what was right. And how the whole time um, God was working underneath the surface to do more than he could ever imagine with his life. And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 20, we read these words. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And even though Joseph had to experience being thrown in a pit and betrayed by his brothers, um, becoming a slave, being imprisoned um, unjustly, At the end of Joseph's story, we see that God redeemed the time by allowing him to uh, come into a a powerful place of leadership and to bring redemption and restoration not only to his family, but to the entire land. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30, Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. Paul says the same thing. He is telling us to trust God who sovereignly appointed the times because he is making all things beautiful. Every time of disturbance, every time of disquieting, every time of despair that you have had, God is going to turn uh, those ashes into beauty. And he is conforming you um, into something beautiful. And what is that something beautiful? It is to the image of his son, which is the most beautiful image that there is. He is making us to look more like Christ. And one day he is going to completely glorify us and give us bodies that are no longer impacted by the fall. So what do we do with the fact that God sovereignly appoints the times and that many of these times seem random and are frustrating? Two quick things. One, we learn to rejoice and enjoy the good life. And we can rejoice and enjoy the good life no matter what season of life we are in, whether it's times of delight or times that are disruptive, because we know that we serve a trustworthy God. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, I know, I'm confident that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to enjoy the good life. It is also a gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know, I am confident that there is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. 
in the midst of times of disquieting, we can rejoice because we know that God is good. We know that God is for us. As you are experiencing life under the sun, may you set your affections to Jesus and may you see even in painful moments that he has provided for you food and drink and for many of us friends. And rather than just uh, allowing our attention to run to the things that are disquieting, remember that he has given us everything by grace and that each of us have more than we deserve. And again, he is shaping us into something beautiful. Earlier, we looked at James chapter one, verse two, when it says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. It's like, count it all joy. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds, all kinds of trouble. Why? He says, because the testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces steadfastness, the ability to stay put under trial. And he says, and let that steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does that sound like? Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It sounds like Jesus so that you may be conformed to the image of Jesus. Paul picks up the same thing in Philippians chapter four when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. What do you mean always? Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel lonely. Rejoice in the Lord when you are betrayed. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel lack. Rejoice in the Lord when people lie on you. And he says, I'll say it again in case you thought I was playing. Again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is near. In the times of disquieting, even if it's in times of war, the Lord is near. God is with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you feel like you are absolutely losing your mind, God is giving you an invitation to, be, to quiet your soul like a weaned child, to create some space and to go before him, to cry out to him with confidence that he will in due season give you a peace of mind. That is supernatural. Sometimes the Lord wants us to wrestle with them. Sometimes trust looks like staying up. Sometimes trust looks like giving up a meal. Sometimes trust looks like spreading yourself prostrate on the floor because the appointed time and season that you are in seems so dark and demonic. And even though Satan means it for your evil, you have to believe that God means it for your good, that he's not only shaping you, but he's going to do a work in you and through you and perhaps in your situation that is going to leave you in awe of him. Sometimes he leads you right to the edge of, of the Red Sea. Sometimes he allows you to hear the, 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 the stomping of the horses of, of, of Pharaoh. 
Sometimes he allows you to hear the, the bickering and, 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 and complaints of the people all around you. Sometimes he, he allows you to feel like you're choking and like there is no uh, way that you are going to make it out. But we serve a God who shows up just in the nick of time, who can split the Red Sea, who, can, uh, who says, if you ask that this mountain would be removed and cast to the sea, he says, I will cast it to the sea. You just have to pray and keep the faith. And if he doesn't change your circumstance, he will change you for the circumstance. And so God wants a people that will stand up like Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, even if he doesn't, we won't move. Why? Because the Lord is near. There's another in the fire. So you can rejoice. Second, live in awe. Verse 14, as I hurry to a close, God works so that people will be in awe of him. What if you believe that? What if I believe that? What would our lives look like if when doors slammed in our face, if when situations didn't go the way we intended, if we wept because it is appropriate to weep, if we mourned because it is appropriate to mourn, but if we look up to God and say, God, I believe that even in this, you have allowed this to come because you are going to do something that will leave me in awe of you. And sometimes you have to just think back and take inventory of your life. Think about all the things that he's brought you through. Think about all the times that he set you up where you thought that, that Satan was having his way with you, but God came through for you. And, and if you're honest with yourself, some of those situations you look back to and you say, it's, it's kind of better that it worked out this way because if God had answered the prayer that I had wanted, I'd be in a whole lot of trouble. There used to be a country song that say, praise God for unanswered prayers. Some of y'all need to be praising him right now. Amen. <laughs> praise God that he didn't answer that prayer. Jesus perfectly models how to live in awe with God and how to appoint him throughout the Gospels. Jesus went through every season that we go through. Jesus went through seasons of celebrating births as well as lamenting deaths. Jesus went through times of intense love as well as times of intense war. Jesus laughed and Jesus wept. Jesus patiently waited in eternity's past as he observed the, Ad the fall of Adam, as he observed the doings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Hannah, as he observed the days of the judges, the rise and fall of David, split of Israel as a kingdom. But Jesus modeled deep trust in his father's plan. And he showed up according to Galatians chapter four, verse four. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. So that we he might redeem those who are under the law. Jesus's life modeled living in awe of God. As he patiently waited to preach a sermon that was inside his heart for many years. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. 
Jesus modeled understanding the seasons when he took his disciples into Samaria to spend time with one woman who experienced much pain. Jesus models walking in the spirit and trusting God as he went up the Via Della Rosa, the road of sorrow, and at the appointed time gave up the ghost and said, it is finished. And he allowed his body to be put in Joseph's borrowed tomb for three whole days. But at the appointed time, he rose with all power in his hands. And that same Jesus right now is sitting on the right hand of the Father, observing you go in and out of seasons through a life that seems random and frustrated. And he is interceding on your behalf. And he is telling you to stay strong, my child. Stay faithful. For at the appointed time, I am going to crack open the sky and at the sound of a trumpet, every tear will be wiped away. Everything sad will become undone as far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.